0: Dentalk's podcast is powered by denanywhere.com. You guys go to denanywhere.com now, no matter where you live in the world, and you can take our classes virtually and live. Go to denanywhere.com and sign up for just $29.99 a month. You get a limited access to our classes with over 150 month to choose from plus most of them are archived so if you can't make the exact time you can catch them later we still also have our workshops and our certifications now all accessible to you no matter where you are go to denanywhere.com mm-hmm. So I wanted to introduce the Dentox Podcast COVID-19 Perspective Series. The first episode was actually the one we put out a couple weeks ago, where we really helped you cultivate your space in this time of quarantine. But from that point on, we want every episode that we are doing right now to be something purposeful, something that can really help, help you through this time, through this dark time for a lot of us, and not only help you, but also open you up to different ideas and different perspectives. So we are interviewing different people and bringing kind of their thoughts of what are going on, and also ways that can help you get through it. Um, I feel like the more we're open right now, the more we can change and the more we change, the more we're part of the bigger change that needs to happen. But we are still honoring the fact that this is scary and this is hard. And there's a lot of tips in all of these episodes and all of these interviews to help us all get through it together. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Den Talks Podcast. This is Tal, your host and the founder of Den Meditation. I'm here with Paula Pavlova today. She was actually one of our first teachers at the Den, so I love having this come first circle. She no longer lives here, so to have her in to talk to us about a really important subject is quite exciting. She also is the founder of the Gaia Collective, which elevates the divine feminine. She... Is the founder of Moonbox, um, where they send out amazing like crystals and jewelry and ways to just heal yourself every single month. And right now, she is kind of the founder of Endometriosis Warrior. She was diagnosed with endometriosis, but just someone who's kind of known she's had it for years. Now, I don't want you to think, oh, I don't have this. This podcast episode is not for me, or I'm a guy. This is not for me, because ultimately, what this whole episode is about is about connecting to our emotions, everything we go through, and what we tuck away, and then how it can manifest itself. Also, it's about the power of healing and what healing is truly about in the mix of Western and Eastern ideas and kind of the spiritual world. So there really is something for everyone. Yes, do we talk about endometriosis? Absolutely, and it's actually really fascinating. But it is also more about the idea of how You need to start listening internally and what that means. So even after she kind of felt like she was on her way to a quote unquote cure, she realized where the real healing had to begin. And that is what everyone here can relate to. I think you're going to get a lot out of it. Please let us know if you do. Go to our Facebook page and comment. All right, well, we're here with Paula and I'm so excited. Paula was actually our first crystal teacher when we opened. Um, the most popular classes, and she actually left her crystal set here, which was so lovely for us, because then she moved to San Francisco, and this is years ago already. Yes, yeah, so it's been uh, th- three years. Oh today. my god, isn't that crazy? Mm-hmm. And so she moved to San Francisco, but she always checks in when she's here, and one of the reasons I wanted to chat with you today is, I mean, you've always been such a beautiful healer and teacher, you know, you. and, you know, also an entrepreneur. She has her own box that she sends out beautiful, you know, crystals and jewelry and things that just really help you heal and go a little deeper for that month. Um, the Moon box right? yes it's called the food box yeah and um you just have so many things going on constantly and i love that but you also have your own stuff that you're going through simultaneously as a woman mm-hmm. um you know battling is battling the right word Endometriosis, or learning how to live with
1: i mean it is a battle but it is learning how to live with for sure because if you're constantly going in and pretending it's a fight or acting like it's a fight then there's really no winning, winning. <laughs> right
0: yeah so then that's what I want to. that's why I wanted to have you here because I feel like it's such an interesting conversation of someone who comes from such a beautiful healing perspective of what it is like when your body isn't as in a line as you think it is. And I think that's hard for a lot of us because we think, hey, if we're meditating in this and we're spiritually connected, and then it all just becomes, you know, one hundred percent. and it doesn't. We're still given different issues, whether they're emotional or physical, that we have to go through. So talk a little bit about like what that was like for you and then we'll get into more of the specifics of endo, but like what it was like for you to even feel like you weren't completely in line.
1: Well, you know, for a long time I didn't know. Um, And I didn't really realize how much I was suffering because I had gotten so good at hiding it. Um, And I think that this is something that I just learned as a child from just experiences from my parents and from people around me, um, really basically teaching me from a very young age that my emotions weren't valid or um, I was being too dramatic or I was being lazy. You know, these were the terms that they, that my parents would use for me
0: all the time to my face. Like you're dramatic and you're lazy. Um, and, and th- why can you talk a little bit more about what that looked like from them? Like as a, now that you're older, as a parent, what did that look like? What were the episodes or what was yeah, your drama? So for
1: me, when I was a kid, it was a lot of like body aches. Like I would consistently be in aching pain in my knees and my hips. And I was a dancer. So I would be dancing for like four hours every day. And one day I'd feel fine and then the next day I, I wouldn't even be able to like lift my leg because my my hip was in so much pain. And, you know, even my dance teachers were, told me that I was lying. Even You know, everybody around me was like, she's fine because I would complain and they'd take me to a PT or to, I did MRIs as a kid on my knees and they were just like, yeah, nothing's wrong with her. And they just chalked it up to growing pains. So I learned to believe that it was just growing pains. And so that happened, you know, from adolescence through high school through college, I was going to the ER like once a month for my endo pains. And still like, it was just
0: basically people were ignoring it. And that was college? Yeah. So it's my first period at that point. So like, did it ever relate to your cycle?
1: Yeah. So it was always during my cycle. um, And I was just told, you know, over and over again that it's women should when women experience pain and that I had ovarian cysts and that cysts are normal and that for some women it's just more painful than others. And so my first ER visit when I was I was 13 years old. So I was 13 years old and they took me to the hospital and they put me on morphine. And from that point forward, I was just prescribed painkillers. And luckily, I don't have an addictive personality, and I'm very like responsible with how I manage all the different things Um, and so over for years I just you know I was like okay well it's the first day of my period I'll take half a hydrocodone and see where it goes from here maybe I'll have to take a second half and I'll just take the day off and there you know been many many times where it did affect my work and I just didn't really um, believe that it was a bigger issue than um, just I had painful periods because there were so many people in my life that Mm -hmm. were telling me that that's what it was so I just thought okay well I got unlucky and I would just try to manage it as best as I could and yes it felt a little unaligned with my with what I was doing but I found ways within the alternative healing world to help me manage even more Till eventually I stopped taking the painkillers altogether. And I learned how to manage with crystals and meditation and cannabis products like body oils and things like that. I would just slather my body up. And that was part of moving to California that allowed me to make those changes because I didn't have that in Virginia or Texas where I was living before. Um, but I still was just, you know, not really understanding that I had a chronic disease. I thought that I was just unlucky. And again, I really now in retrospect believe that it that it had a lot to do with my conditioning, not just from doctors, but also from my family of just being told,
0: there's nothing wrong with you, stop complaining. And what part of the conditioning do you think you have a lot to do with? Is it the fact that you were letting it ride or do you think some of it was brought on because of being told those things? Do you know what I'm saying? Like which one's affecting which?
1: I think that they both kind of create and sustain each other in a way. Um, I just remember, I have one memory from when I was a kid, Like I fell on my Razor scooter and I like skinned my whole side body, like massive, massive opening on my shoulder and on my knee. And my, my driveway was like a basically it was st- straight down, like super steep. And I was barefoot on it. So I was burning oh, my foot yeah, trying yeah, to yeah, stop yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I jumped oh off. God, I just got i know yeah. entire body. It was, it was not good. But I remember hurting myself like very badly, being by myself and getting up, picking up the Razor scooter and being like, I cannot cry. If I cry, I'm gonna get in more trouble. So I was like walking home tr- in so much pain trying to convince myself not to cry because I knew that crying was seen as a weakness and I was told consistently not to cry. So that's just you know one example. So what did you do when you got home? Did you cry? I tried to beeline past the kitchen so that nobody would see me and just pretend that it didn't happen and like clean it up myself and put some clothes on so nobody would see me. But I got, I got seen
0: and they were like, what, what happened to you? And because they could see it, were they more? Open no, to- it was like
1: you, you silly, stupid girl. Like, and I don't mean to like, it's
0: cultural. Yeah.
1: I don't mean to like I, berate my parents when I say this or the people that raised me, but it was cultural. Like I was raised by a first generation immigrant family that had experienced much worse than the scrapes on your knees or your shoulders. Right, so, so to them it is exactly silly. To them it is silly. To them it is dramatic. But that's just, you know, one example for me as a kid of ways that I was, you know, told not to be upset about things and not to cry. So I carried that with me for a very, very long time. And when I started my business and when I started teaching, while I knew there were things that I was bringing into my life to help me with what I was struggling with, I didn't really understand how much I was struggling because I truly got such a high off helping other people. That I let that be my healing for a very, very long time, until honestly, my nervous system just couldn't support it anymore, and it was just like, you got to find a
0: way to do this. And when for yourself. about then? When did that start for you?
1: Just recently, actually, which is crazy, um, because I really thought that like things were going really well. Of course, like you know, my Saturn, Saturn return comes along, and everyone's <laughs> like, it comes in threes. Watch out! And I'm like, yeah, I'll be fine. I think I'll, I think I'll be okay. Two days after my 28th birthday was like the minute that it all just kind of, I joke, shit hit the fan literally, because um, that was when it got to the point where it was no longer just my periods. It was affecting my bowel movements. And (laughs) yeah, so that's when it gets real. Um, You know, it's every single day. You're like, okay, I can't even poop without feeling normal. So this was lined up with my period. And uh, yeah, two days after my 28th birthday, I fainted while I was having a bowel movement. And I woke up on the floor, hit my head on the tiled floor, and had a concussion, and, or what I think was a concussion. I didn't go to the hospital, but I felt really weird for a while, for a couple of days. Um, and I came to, and I was sitting in my own shit. That's why I say literally the shit oh hit my the God. fan. And I was just like, oh my God, this is really serious. That was when it just kind of, it dawned on me that like this was so much more than just a period problem
0: and just a period yeah which Which by the way and we'll talk more about it too and we've talked about it on this show too um with a few women who reach like the period should not be a problem they're not a problem no (laughs) if if you have a problem it's a problem it's a problem and (laughs) but by the way that was eye-opening for me too because i've always experienced cramps um when i was younger much worse now not as bad but every once in a while some cycles were and i was like you find out you're actually not supposed to be experiencing no.
1: cramping. Pelvic pain is not normal. That's the subtitle of my book.
0: But it's it, but yeah. it's like a, an eye opener for like anyone really. If you have a sister, a daughter, a girlfriend, a partner, a wife, I mean, it's really interesting to know like it's not that normal. Oh, it's and also that's why like it makes us all cringe when people are like it's that time in the month and it makes us all cringe because it's like, no, like yes, we have different feelings and we know that is part of a cycle, but like nothing should be that hard. No. And, and in all wrong, honesty, like you said something's wrong.
1: Yeah, in honesty, if somebody had really looked deeply when I first was having my quote unquote growing pains, they would have seen the signs because now we know that like this is something that you're born with, and this is something that you can absolutely find on an ultrasound and you don't have to have surgery to, to find it. We just only have one in 100 doctors that know how to do that. So if you just do the math, one in ten women have endometriosis. one in 100 doctors know how to identify an ultrasound. No wonder it's taking, on average, 7 to 10 years for women to get diagnosed, if ever. And when they do get diagnosed, in most cases, it doesn't actually lead to help. It leads to ablation after ablation after ablation, which leads to hysterectomy. And that's not help. That is a medical trap, in my opinion, that most people are getting sucked into. Well,
0: let's talk about it. There were a few things that came up in that statement. A, I want to... Kind of go back to like... So you didn't get diagnosed until you were sitting in your shit, basically. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean... It took that moment for you to like go and be like something bigger is happening. So
1: I self-diagnosed many years prior. I first heard the word endometriosis while I was in the ER when I was 20 years old from a nurse who was just... She was overtired. She was overworked. It was the middle of the night and she came in there and she was like, I just wanted to check on you. Um, Have you ever heard of endometriosis? And I mean, at that point I was kind of angry. I was just like, what do you mean? Have I heard of endometriosis? I'm how am I like, it's like, it's my job to like understand these little known diseases and treat them. Like I, I was just looked at her dumbfounded. Now I'm super grateful for her, but that's what she said. And I felt, you know, like, how can this person be asking me? Have I heard of this? Like, of course I haven't heard of it. I'm a doctor. I'm not a doctor. (laughs) She's a doctor, you know? And so I go home and I Googled it and I was just reading everything about it. And it, it was the first moment, I think I was like probably 21 years old or something like that. I just finished school before I moved to California. And I was like, I think this is what I have. You know, obviously, I'm not sure. But it felt very liberating to read these things that felt incredibly accurate. And so then I started going to doctors and saying, I have endometriosis. And that's when things got really weird, because they would start to look at me like I was crazy. And once they realized I hadn't had uh, explorative surgery, which is the only way to formally diagnose endometriosis, according to insurance policies, um, they basically just wrote me off as crazy. And I, had doctors, tell me like when I'd say I had painful sex, they'd be like, "Oh, just try, try, try having a glass of wine before you have sex." Oh, God.
0: We'll oh my God, that's like yeah. so insulting. Yeah, um, I had one. I had one doctor. <laughs> You're like that means like what's so? There's so much that's insulting about yeah, that so, comment because it's so basically sexless. like this is a man, by the way. Well, of course. And they're basically like, You're just uptight. Yeah. I mean, and that's what's so insulting yeah. about it. It's like, um, fuck you. I can enjoy my sex too, yeah. asshole. Yeah. And he said, he said, <laughs> I bet your boyfriend's really concerned about
1: this. And I was just like, Wait, I'm concerned, concerned about, about this. this. Like, I'm I want I wanna have sex too. It's not just for him. Like this is my my body and my life and my pleasure oh. and my choices that you're diminishing. This is the same doctor who told me I had two uteruses. I don't. Turns out my uterus was folded in half and that's why it looked like I had two uteruses.
0: But, like, he, I mean, I feel like that's an easy thing to be able to spot without, like, exactly. you can literally do just a little this bit. This is of, my point. Yeah. Yeah. So, most doctors don't Some really even know what they're looking out. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, that was, I mean, I, years went by of me just trying to find help, and I just kept, I never saw the same gynecologist twice. From right. the first gynecologist I saw, who was my mom, mom's gynecologist who, like, commented on my pubic hair when I was 13. Like, you know, okay, just really... Out, an, out. Yeah. Oh, my God. This whole thing is, like... It's bad. So I oof. never saw the same one ever. Like, I kept going to a new gynecologist maybe once or twice a year because, honestly, like, I would get so discouraged by going and the way that they treated me that I didn't want to go back. Of course. And then I would wait until the pain got so bad again that I'd be like, oh, okay, I guess so, I got to go someone back. Someone will
0: help me. Right.
1: And I kept thinking, oh, well, all gyne- gynecologists must be the same. I didn't know to search endometriosis specialist. I didn't know that that was something that I had to find. I thought all gynecologists must know what endometriosis is. Well, they should. They don't. <laughs>
0: oh my God.
1: And so then years went by and eventually I I honestly gave up. I gave up, I think right around the time I left California, I saw an out of pocket doctor here just like stole so much money for me, from me. Um, I truly think that she stole money from me. She didn't help me at all. And it was all out of pocket. She promised me she would help me. And that's what I was just like, okay, fuck this. And I just said, okay, I'm going to stick with crystals and meditation and yoga, and I don't really need to to try to find anybody else. I kind of I gave up completely. And then when I moved to San Francisco, I hired a customer service rep because we were just like it was. We were just losing our minds at that point. Dan had taken a, a full time job elsewhere. Um, and I was teaching again, almost full time, so I, we didn't have time to do that. And she was over in my apartment one day, and she was—we were trying to do work, and I could not even like physically sit up straight. I was like like this on the computer, and she was like, "What the hell?" She is She was r-
0: hunched over, just so I yeah. Know.
1: <laughs> um, she was like, "What the hell is wrong with you?" And I was like, "Oh, I, I have endometriosis, or I think I have endometriosis." An and she was like, "That's not something to mess around with." She's quite a bit older than me, and so she, I guess she's to say, you know, she's had more experience. And um, she the, her partner at the time was pretty well connected in the medical world in San Francisco, and she said, go see this doctor. Her name is Dr. Mono already. She's going to be covered by your insurance. She's not out of pocket. You'll be fine. And I was just like, uh, okay, I'll go. So I made an appointment. I couldn't get an appointment for a year. Oh my God! Yeah, she's an endometriosis specialist in San Francisco. And f-
0: because there's none like, and because lined she's up. covered
1: by insurance, a lot of endometriosis specialists are not pocket. are out of pocket. And it is, to my, in my opinion, that's equally as bad as all the people that are give offering ablations because they're causing a division between the rich women who can afford excisions and all the people who can't. And rather than being like beacons of light in this really really grim world of women's health they're separating themselves further away just because some of them drive around in Bentleys
0: like it's just like what but I mean heck? that's a bigger conversation of a bigger healthcare problem period exactly I mean yes for you exactly. you're seeing it within endometriosis but really you can almost take you could apply that to anything to anything that needs us spe- like to really get special attention right. and it's true it's like and some can afford it And then some get put into the system.
1: And I was lucky enough to have to follow my intuition. The doctor who told me I had two uteruses, he scheduled me for surgery here in LA. And I actually almost went because I was suffering so much. I woke up that morning at five AM, like ready to go, and I just got this icky feeling in my gut. And I was just like, I'm not going. And I didn't go.
0: Good for you. I'm so glad I didn't go. Also because like he thought you had two uteruses. He shouldn't cut you open. (laughs) Well, the reason
1: why I didn't go actually is bigger than that. I went to my pre op the day before. And he did like another ultrasound and he goes, you know, you might have two uteruses and you might also have a completely calcified left fallopian tube. So if I go in there and it looks like it's done, I'm just going to cut it out. Is that okay with you? And I was like, no, No. that's not okay with me. And that was kind of what, and I'm so glad he said that because it rang the alarm that like, how could you not know what you're going to do before you're going to go in? Like... How can you not, how can you ask me if it's okay for you to cut out a major part of one of my vital organs and ask my opinion? Like, you should know what's best. And you shouldn't scare me like this before I go, you know, it's just a variety of different reasons. I'm so glad I didn't go. Um, So glad that I waited for the right doctor. I saw her a year later. But all the while, I was just like, at that point, I was like, I I literally thought to myself, fuck it. Whatever comes up that seems like it's going to heal me, I will do it even if I can't afford it, if it fits into my schedule and I can be there and I don't have to cancel any work to go, I'm going. So I went to Peru. I did a a meditation training in Peru. I had nightmares every single night while I was there, full on allergy attacks every single day while I was there. Little did I know that endometriosis and allergies go hand in hand. I learned this later. I was just like losing it. And all, every time I would go to one of these things, endometriosis would, would strike. Even if it wasn't like a regular period. If if even if it was a totally random time, like I wasn't supposed to have my period, it would just come out of nowhere. I did my Reiki one and two, both times my period came.
0: Oh my God. Wasn't
1: expected. So it was just like, you know, all these things that are super healing and super amazing. But also I felt a little trapped within as well. Because I was so against the Western world that I Move myself into this other alternative world. But to be honest, a lot of those people that I signed up to do stuff with were complete snake oil salesmen. Right. And that hasn't, an, it's another big problem that people don't talk about.
0: Oh my about. God. Let's take a breather and talk about yeah. it for a second and then we'll go back. Yeah. In. Because it is, I mean, it's interesting to hear it from you. It's always a delicate subject. I say the same thing. I'm like, th- this world, just like any other world or industry, has a bunch of bullshit in it too. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how do you suss through? the bullshit to find the truth. Now, look, I always promote in the long run, like the truth is you. And so the more you can go inside and anyone that's helping you learn to go inside ultimately is helpful. Is what I always try and remind myself, knowing there are some like sn- snake oil salesmen, like you're saying, because I'm like, okay, well, if at least they're helping someone go inside, there is a benefit to it. They're like, the gateway in a way. A gateway, yes. It's yeah. a perfect way to say it. But like, I'd love to hear it from your point of view a little bit because it is... Scary. Some people just wake up and they're like, "Well, I can act, basically, so I can now do this." So I think that there's two 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 ways to look at it.
1: I think it's definitely a gateway, but what you have to be wary of, which I think happened to me for a short period of time, is letting that gate close behind you and letting it lock, because oh. then you get stuck. And I mean, I have a, someone who's really dear to me that I consider a part of my family who died this past year because she, her husband wouldn't let her treat her cancer.
0: Uh, like you mean in Western it way? It was completely
1: too. treatable. She could have had chemo. He wouldn't let her do it because of their beliefs as Hare Krishnas and you know, whatever they believed, I have no judgment whatsoever towards them or their belief system. But when it comes to something where in this case, she went through this gate, and she locked it, and she stayed there for a very, very long time to the point where it led to her death, and she could have been fine. Right. And that's just one, you know, very sh- sh- heavy example, but for me, it was, you know, I look at a lot of the things that I did, and I add up all the money that I spent, and, I, you know, I'm just like, that. that that would have been great to have stayed in my bank account had there been a better communication. You're like,
0: like, Oh, I actually could have gone to that really expensive doctor. I could have
1: had that that excision, but uh, I I don't regret anything I did. I think that all of it was healing in its own way because I have critical thought and because I can be, I can separate the bullshit from the stuff that helped. But who I'm concerned about is people like this woman who can't or her husband who can't. And, who are truly being preyed on because they're suffering. And this happens in both the Western world and it happens in alternate. I think that's an important
0: distinction too. It's not just one or the other. It does happen in both. And in both cases, and it goes back to what we were just talking about about going within, you have to be able to hear yourself and your voice and what it is telling you. And sometimes it might tell you like, oh God, don't do that surgery. Don't do this Western thing. It's too much. You're going too far. And sometimes it might be like, hey, you need a little help from the Western side. Like go do it. I mean the voice speaks loudly in both ways. There's no judgment from that voice. So the voice doesn't necessarily think, you know, non-Western medicine is the only way to go. I th- like, And that's why I tell people, I, I have a really dear friend who's a doctor we grew up together who I love, and I come from a family of doctors. And she is as critical-minded as one can be. And she's literally like, if science can't prove it, it doesn't exist. So I love talking to her because, and because they were saying in one of the trainings now, they actually do Reiki, which I found fascinating. It's for doctors? Yeah, or wow. something like that, which I found fascinating. She's like, come on, does that really work? And I was trying to explain to her, And she's like, but does it work? I'm like, look, do I think every single person who puts their hand up after getting Reiki one can cure someone or something? No, I don't. I was like, but do I think, yes, the energy is actually very healing? It is. I said, I think a combination of everything together. But also, part of the problem is you can't just throw away Western, I think, and tell me if you think I'm crazy. I'm like, yes, in theory, if we all lived completely centered net one and connecting to the universe, I mean... and I mean completely, I mean, that's like enlightened beings, then yes, our body would probably be healing itself at all times. But most of us aren't there. Most of us are not there. We're trying, we're trying to get there. And I think we can do a lot, but sometimes you might need help.
1: Yeah. I think that you're absolutely right. And I think that the body is healing itself at all times. It's just that we get in its way a lot. A lot. And I think that the most m- most valuable thing that I've learned through this experience that I'm going to continue to learn for the rest of my life, I'm sure, is that you cannot have spiritual alignment if you don't have physical alignment and you can't have
0: physical alignment if you don't have spiritual alignment A they go
1: hand in hand. So the things I would that, say that if
0: you're not balanced inside, you're not balanced outside right.
1: and and I think to go back to your first question, which was like um how did it how did it feel, you know to to be in this world and to to not to feel like to not be aligned within yourself? I largely didn't know because I had so much physical inflammation in my body that I could not see clearly, literally, let alone spiritually. And once I actually had the surgery and I woke up from that surgery, even though my insights were like literally raw and trying to heal from a very invasive Invasive surgery... The inflammation that had been sitting all over my urinal sacral ligaments, all over my ureters, all over my uterus, all over my appendix and my rectum and my pelvic floor. Since that was all gone, it was like, I, I swear, it was like the most clarifying experience I've ever had in my life. And it was just this bolt of lightning that just shot through me that was like, you have to talk about this you have to share this you have to consistently let people know that they can find healing too because it's just it's there it's available we know what needs to be done we know that an excision is the only true treatment to endometriosis that we know of today and no amount of excisions no amount of hormone therapy no amount of Reiki or crystals or meditation or yoga or whatever is going to heal the way that our body stores trauma. And that's what it all comes down to. So
0: talk a little bit really quickly for those who actually don't know what endometriosis is. Talk about really quickly what it is and then talk about what an excision is. Yes.
1: Okay. So endometriosis is a, basically it's a, what most people think an autoimmune disorder, although it hasn't been technically proven to be one. It falls under the category theoretically as one where the body essentially attacks itself and tissues go rogue inside the body. And so what looks like endometrial like tissue, it is not the same. So this is a big misconception as people hmm. think that it's just the inside of the organs growing on the outside of the organs. They've tested the tissue and it's not the same. It's not identical. Interesting. It's similar. Uh, but they don't know where it comes from, and that's what's really interesting. most interesting about it is, essentially, has its own like consciousness. It produces its own estrogen, and that's why it does its own thing, separate from your cycle. Sometimes it's its own set of hormones, and so that stuff that gets to the outside of the organ somehow creates the, a stickiness. Or a friction on the outside of the organs that causes the organs to stick together, or in my case, like the uterus folded in half and got stuck together. Hence two uteruses. Right. Hence what he thought was two uteruses. So he wasn't like totally wrong. Like he was seeing he was a shadow, seeing but he didn't know what he was seeing because he wasn't an endometriosis specialist. So he didn't even understand that my anatomy could get completely deformed by this. Or from what I understood, he didn't understand. I don't mean to speak negatively. He, he might have more to say that I just, you know, wasn't related in that very short. Meeting, which is a a, a big part of the problem as well, is these meetings are way too short for them to fully get an understanding of your medical history and what you've been through. So, get back to what it does to the body is because now there's friction and there's sticky stuff on the outside of the organs, the organs are no longer sliding and gliding by each other the way that they're designed to. Oh, yeah. so. So, that's where you get the pain.
0: So, you're like constantly fighting within yourself. Yeah.
1: So, it feels like you're stuck. That's how I would often describe it. Like, my hip would get stuck. Like no shit, it was stuck. It was literally like velcro to other ligaments. So that
0: pain you were feeling when you were a kid dancing. Yeah. It would just be in that moment you had like a little velcro happening, like yeah. in your knee or in mm-hmm. your hip. Mm-hmm. And, and then so the next day it could be fine.
1: And the next day it could be totally fine because the the hormones that it, that are unique to the lesions calm down for whatever reason, right. right? They we don't we don't know it's all a theory. So when it comes to what causes it, that's where the question gets even bigger because We only started researching endometriosis in, like, 1996, technically. We only fully, um, what's the word, did an autopsy on a clitoris in 2002. Like, we have no understanding, actually, of the female uh, reproductive system and how it truly functions because we only started studying it very recently. And what gets even crazier than that is drugs, including birth control,
0: with... So funny. Progesterone in them? I think is, all those men who want to have so much say in our uteruses would want to know more about it. Well, they <laughs> did
1: because it was only tested on them. All these pills that we're taking up until, like, if they were approved before 1996, they were only tested on men. Things that only women take were only tested on men. Right. So, you know, these kinds of things I, I've learned along the way. And I'm just like, you know, so shocked because this is, they're giving us progesterone that's male derived testosterone that actually chemically changes the brain into a male brain. <laughs> when Sorry. taken for a long it's period time. at this point. Yeah, it is. So, you know, let's let's just, let's get real about what we know and what we don't know. And ultimately we don't know what causes this, but it's certainly not retrograde periods. And for any gynecologist out there that continues to spout that theory, like they're doing all women everywhere a disservice because it's just not that. We have pr- we have evidence to prove that it is not the inside of the organ going onto the outside of the organ. And this is what's called Samson's theory. It was developed in the 20s. And it suggested that the, that the, Menstrual cycle, rather than going down and out the way it's supposed to, for some reason it goes up and through the fallopian tubes and sprays all all over the other organs. Like the uterus (laughs) is some sort of like sprinkler. Is that what happens? Um, The most likely theory is that it's something that happens when the baby is in utero. That during the developmental stages, something gets in the way that gets interferes with. I'm not a doctor, so I don't know all the terminology exactly, but interferes with the way that our immune system develops. And some cell, starts with the Z, I think, just doesn't do something properly. And then from that point forward, things go rogue and autoimmune diseases can become rampant. And this can be a variety of different things from like intestinal cystitis to PCOS to Crohn's to IBS to psoriasis to MS to all these different things that we just don't really understand all link back to this one particular chemical that has been infused into all of our food and all of our water and its dioxins or sulfates or parabens. There's a lot of them. But they were banned from our food in 2002, yet they still linger in our receipts. So if there's one thing that you take from this podcast is do not ever touch a receipt ever again. It's covered in poison and that stuff goes directly through your dermis, through the most absorbative tissue in your body, your hands and your feet. Oh my gosh, like a tampon covered in plastic, like that stuff is just all covered in bleach going into your the most absorptive tissue in your body. It's going to most definitely affect your endocrine system and most definitely affect your immune system. And it's going to lead to maybe endometriosis,
0: maybe something else. So that's, it's fascinating. Yeah. So now that you've been kind of on this, we'll talk a little bit about the excision that you did. Mm -hmm. And then I want to go back to just in general, like from an autoimmune perspective, kind of what we don't know. I mean, it's so much, it's so interesting, but talk about the excision yeah. first of all. So then, cause it's interesting cause you're saying it's autoimmune. So what do they, what is the surgery exactly?
1: So an excision surgery is they treat it like a cancer and they go in and they actually excise the endometriosis. So if you can imagine like weeds growing in your garden, if you were to just take the weed and rip it off the top, yeah. that's an ablation. You're just like burning the so top layer. Or if, yeah. right. or if you take a flame and you just go to the to the weeds and you just burn the, the top layer, the root still exists. Um An excision is if you were to take a shovel and go all the way down into the root and pull the weed out. And so that's how an excision is. It's much more invasive. It's going to be a much longer um, recovery. recovery period. I was very fortunate that I had the head of robotic assisted surgery at the hospital that I was having my surgery at do my surgery. So this is what she does. She specializes in endometriosis and in robotic assisted endometriosis excisions. So this is a much more delicate procedure. It's definitely not nearly as invasive. Because they're using a robot, they can be very specific about where they're, they're cutting. Um, my surgery also cost almost $100,000. I mean, That's crazy. So most well, like, how people do they know at would not get that.
0: Couldn't it grow like you were saying? You can feel it on different joints. Like, how do you know? Like,
1: Yeah, so the way that the joints and stuff, I don't, I don't know that there's endometriosis in my joints because there's no organs there, but that stuff is... just inflammation, right? So if you have like a base level of inflammation, you're gonna feel it everywhere else in your body, which is also how the allergies happen. And then also because for me particularly, I have adenomyosis, which is a word that most people don't know. Adenomyosis grows inside the lining or the wall of the uterus. So there's no way to take it out rather than to remove, only, only way out is to remove the uterus. Right. Um, which I'm not going to do because I want to have children. But a lot of women don't want to have children and they should be offered that as an option if they have adenomyosis. A lot of women aren't told they have adenomyosis and endometriosis. They're like, oh, it's just this, but really it's not. They're two completely different things. They're like sister diseases, but they're not the same. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's quite complicated. The difference then is ablation, which um, a lot of women end up with because insurance is much more ready to cover it. Because um, it's cheap. It's just a couple a couple thousand dollars. And all they right. do it, all they do in that is they just burn Shaming the top it out layer. Now. Yeah, they're just like, <laughs> zzzz. but what that does is actually create more scar tissue, which leads to more pain. Scar tissue is also sticky. Scar tissue also creates friction. And your fascia is an incredibly interconnected, intelligent, woven like meat suit between your skin and your muscles that does not like to be cut into. So even for me with my excision surgery, I had physical therapy afterwards for weeks to make sure that I didn't build up the scar tissue. But my doctor didn't suggest that. She didn't even know to suggest that. As amazing of a surgeon she is, her understanding of the fascia is still very limited because our understanding as a people of the fascia is very limited. It only became like Uncovered really only 10 years ago as something that we should be paying attention to. It was discarded in autopsies prior to then. So like a lot of this stuff, which gets to how the body stores trauma, is um, information that we've had through ancient civilizations and ancient teachings for a very, very long time that was largely discarded because we didn't study it. Well, now we're studying it. We have epigeneticists who have studied how the... um, cells carry trauma, how our eggs that live in our bodies were formed in our grandmother's bodies. And the experiences that she had when she was pregnant with our grandmother affect the health of our cells today. And they've done tests in chimps and in rats to show how this happens to the point where they've literally taken a litter. They've done it in both chimps and rats. And they separated that litter from their mother's and they had one litter that was separate. They called them um, eventually the motherless mothers because they impregnated them, but they gave them everything that they needed physiologically, food, water, everything. And they were fine on a physiological level. You could test them; they were like no problems whatsoever. But they developed all these strange mental tics, like rocking back and forth, or like um, coping mechanisms, um, mental illnesses. And then they impregnated them. And then when they impregnated them, those babies were born with like lungs outside their bodies, with all these crazy autoimmune disorders, with physical abnormalities. That essentially, from this study, shows us that emotional trauma three generations ago can lead to physical trauma today. And when I learned that I was like, holy shit, you need not be raised by neglectful parents like I was to experience trauma. All of the trauma of the world is living in our bodies from slavery to wars to until we face that, this is what I mean by no amount of surgeries or yoga or meditation is going to solve our problems until we face that, until we say that we all need to look bravely in the mirror of ourselves, of society, of how we treat women, of how we treat men, of how we raise boys, you know, we're telling women to to protect themselves from getting raped, rather than telling boys not to rape women. Like there there's so many there's so many things that we're doing wrong that are living inside of our bodies, and that gets me to my next point, which is through this experience of being really brutally honest with myself, going to EMDR therapy twice a week, I've been doing hypnotherapy twice a week. I have found so many things from my childhood, and honestly, from the last like five to ten years of my adult life that I have suppressed because they were painful because I didn't want to admit them to myself.
0: So what has come up for you? Oh God. <laughs> No, but seriously, because I do think it's an important... So many of us don't realize the connection. And I think we're starting to more mm-hmm. and understanding it more, the connection of emotion to physical well-being. And look, some of it's out of our control. Like you were saying, it's handed down from generation to generation. You might not even... You might be adopted or who knows, and you, you still have it. Like, it still comes down with you. Um, so some of it, again, we don't even know, but some of it then we're adding on to it yeah. from what's happening present day or from birth or from even being in the womb. Um and being raised. So it is interesting to talk about, like, what are the things that you've started to notice? You're like, holy shit. That is also like, it's not just one gene that's going to give me this autoimmune. We can also get this stuff from very emotional. I mean, we tuck that shit away. It Mm -hmm. just manifests. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. We tuck it away. And then also on a physiological level, like, so on a spiritual level, we tuck it away. We're like, I don't want to deal with that. Right. But on a physiological level, it comes in shortness of breath, which leads to pelvic floor dysfunction, which leads to, There's a lot of lines that have been drawn. Pelvic floor dysfunction can lead to intestinal cystitis, can lead to endometriosis, can lead to IBS and all that stuff because it makes sense if you think about it. If you're constantly clenching your pelvic floor and it's not relaxing with each inhale like it's supposed to, it ricochets up and the rest of the tissues are like, wait, what's happening here? so
0: interesting. It's so
1: interesting. Um, So that's a physiological level, but on a a spiritual level or on an emotional level, mental level, whatever you want to call it, it's all the same to me. Um, Through my hypnotherapy and through my journaling work, which I... Uh, found through a book called, It Didn't Start With You. So for anybody listening to this that's like, whoa, I want to know, read that book because the doctor brings in like all these different exercises that you do as you read the book. And that was where it all started. I was like, whoa. I realized that, you know, I I always knew I came from a weird background. I always knew that I had a very strange story. My parents um, are immigrants. My mom came to America when she was eight and a half months pregnant with me and gave birth to me two weeks after she arrived we lived with friends of, of friends of friends for the first couple of years of my life because they had no money and we were essentially homeless. I didn't even realize that um, until my dad made enough money in a post-communist country, which like he escaped. He's like basically got yeah. my mom out, stayed, tried to build a business, was fortunately very successful. And by the time I think I was like two or three, somewhere in there, we bought our first house and we moved in. But I was so young that I, you know, I truly don't really remember much from this time. I have some flashes of like this big red door and like begging my mom not to leave a couple of times and like Mm -hmm. just, you know, little things like that. But I didn't think about how much stress she was under when she was pregnant with me. I didn't think about the fact that she had two abortions before me, that she didn't want me. And I didn't, I mean, she told me that my whole life growing up, but I just didn't really, I didn't think that
0: it affected me as much as it did. So she told you even after she had you that she didn't want you? Meaning as a fact or like when she was angry at you type of
1: thing? No, I mean, she didn't think that she was hurting me when she was telling me. She wasn't telling me to be neglectful, but she would joke consistently, you know, that it was an accident or like, you know, she would say almost kind things like you were the glue that brought the family together. You know, it's okay. I don't mind that I was an accident, but I didn't think about how much stress that was on her. And I also want to take a moment to, to point out here that like the most important thing about realizing all this stuff from your past is that this is not about blaming or saying that this is why haha I'm over it like not my problem it's about forgiving it's about saying that my mom and everybody else's mom and everybody else's xyz who may have accidentally hurt them in some way truly did the best they could like we all have done throughout history and society I believe the best that we can with what we knew and now we know more so now we have a choice to do chance and a choice to do better
0: Let me tell you a little bit about the Den's favorite oracle deck. They are the moon deck. They are stunning and they're inspired by the cycles of the moon, which so you know, I already love it, anything with that. And they are so pretty, you're gonna get 44 cards and an insanely in-depth guidebook that's filled with insights and rituals that just enhance your intuition, your self-love, and any meditation or any practice that you're doing. So whether you like to use it for an oracle guide or as a daily tool for reflection or tarot-inspired spreads, this is the set for you. Um, So go to themoondeck.com, order your deck right now. If you use Moon Den as the code, you get 10% off your entire order. So again, go to themoondeck.com, use the code MOONDEN, and you get 10% off. Enjoy and let us know what you think. Sorry for the interruption, guys, but this one's important. You know, it is a tough time and that's what we've been doing this COVID-19 perspective series. And I want to give you an option for someone you can talk to. I mean, I love the meditation, obviously, and I think it's super helpful, but sometimes you need to talk to someone. So betterhelp.com and that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, betterhelp.com provides services and counselors. So expertise that you might not be able to get in your area or you might not be able to afford traditionally. So this is an amazing resource that you can go to. They match you. up to your needs within 24 hours. And look, if the counselor doesn't work for you for free, they reassess and give you a different counselor. You can send notes to your counselor at any time and within 24 hours you get responses. You set up phone talks, video talks, whatever works for you with no waiting, none of the traditional hassle. And like I mentioned before, it is cheaper than traditional therapy. And if you need financial aid, which I know at this time is, you know, most people need it, please reach out to them because they make that work too. It is so important. We want to make sure you guys are taken care of every step of the way. So, this is another option for you guys as well. So, again, with Dentox, you get 10% off your first session. So, go to betterhelp.com forward slash Dentox. BetterHelp, again, that's H E L P.com forward slash Dentox. All right, you guys, we're there for you. Yeah, it's. Fun. I was just talking about this with my husband because we were talking about his dad and something, and I, I won't get into details. It's his story, but I remember saying it too. I'm like, "You got to look back. I mean, he was really doing the best he can." And and I was like, "And look, and now you're doing even better. Like you have a chance to like change." I go, every- "We just keep bringing these patterns in, and every generation we get a chance to switch the pattern." Right. We do. We really do have the chance. And not, it, the biggest thing
1: that I want to remind people is like that it's not just for you. It's, it's for the future. It's and- for epigenetically three generations from now we know yeah. with pr- with certainty there's proof that shows it that it's going to affect their lives for the better but if you really want to get lofty about it the yoga practices say seven generations back seven generations forward is what you heal when you heal, heal yourself so I think that that's really magical and I remember the first time I learned that was in my yoga works training here in LA I think like five or six years ago someone said that to me and I never forgot it. I was just like, oh my God, if I could heal seven generations back and seven generations before it, I will. But it goes even deeper than that. It's so funny that you brought it up. Like I didn't know until I was around 21, which is around the time that I heard the word endometriosis, that my mom was actually adopted and her mother, her biological mother was a gypsy and she gave birth to my mother on the streets and took her baby and brought it to a hospital. And that's my mom who eventually was adopted by her adopted mother and my, and my grandfather. And I I didn't know this. Once I learned this, it was just like, didn't know why it was so important to me. But there was so much that I held against my mom for a very long time because when I was 12, my dad passed away unexpectedly and she moved to Italy and just abandoned me and my brother when we were six years old. She didn't see it that way. She was thinking, I need to go find solutions for my family because the breadwinner just died and our businesses were based in Europe. So she was thinking she was doing the right thing. But for me as a child, I was like, what the fuck? Who were you left with? Um, someone who I call my aunt, but technically she was my nanny. Like, she was being paid to take care of me. She didn't... She wasn't doing it because she was paid. She, she truly well, loved course, me. Of course, no, of but, course.
0: That's always an interesting... Yeah. She was getting paid, but it doesn't mean there's it not doesn't a lot matter. of love yeah. there. And she, to this day,
1: I still consider her like my mom. And, you know, if it wasn't for her, I had <laughs> no idea where the hell I would have ended up. Um, so, you know, ultimately, like I said, my mom did the best she could. Had she chosen to just try to do it herself... I'd be in a much worse situation. So even though at the time I didn't understand... Of course, we're too limited. At
0: that point, mm-hmm. it's a very myopic point of view. Yeah, not the... me, and I get it. As a kid, of course, you want your mom, and what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, <laughs>
1: so I didn't realize how much all that stuff affected me, and then also other things, like there was a lot of violence surrounding my family. Um, I was raised in an environment that was completely inappropriate for children. Um, I was exposed to a lot of, like, sexual innuendos or experiences or visions of things that like just were reserved for adult eyes only from a very young
0: age. Why? Like what was, um, like the
1: industry? Yeah. So it's just, you know, it's Europe. First of all, it's different. Um, second of all, um, without getting, you know, into too many details, like there was just things that were surrounding me at that time that were specific to an environment that I didn't choose. And, um, you know, gambling and, you know, all these different things that I didn't choose to be around. Um, and, you know, without getting too far into it, uh, it's kind of emotional for me to talk about it often. Cause. My my dad was assassinated. And so I, you know, I was very young. I didn't really understand what that meant. I didn't understand the, like, global political climate and, like, how that affected my family. I didn't understand that we were one of many, many families that were suffering in, a po- in post-communist countries that were just... You know, riddled with violence and still are in a lot of ways. Um, I had bodyguards constantly protecting me. So I was never told um, you should be afraid. But you were. But I was without words. And so the, that to me was something that I consistently shoved away that I was like, oh, you know what? I was actually quite fortunate in so many ways. I was given everything I could have possibly wanted. I was never told no for anything at all, whether it was an interest that I wanted to explore or something I wanted to learn or just a vacation I wanted to take. So there was a lot of things that I was very fortunate and very privileged in. Um, So I always let that just kind of be like, well, all the bad
0: stuff doesn't matter. That's such a hard play. I, I get that too. It's, it's, you know, when you come from privilege, like financial privilege it's and you are someone who is aware of the workings of the world it is very easy to put anything emotional that you're going through aside because you feel like you're not you have nothing and you're not allowed to complain right. about anything
1: there's a fine line between being grateful for what you have and allowing the things that you're grateful for to cast a shadow on the things that have hurt you because those things are still valid
0: yeah and you still have to process them. you still
1: have to process them and so through the hypnotherapy i had you know a lot of things that came up for me Um, and most recently, probably the most challenging part of everything that I've come to understand is that there have been several instances in my past that I have been, still hard for me to say it out loud, that I've been sexually assaulted and didn't even know it was happening. Um,
0: and And that came up during hypnotherapy. Yeah. Um, but once it came up, were you like? Yeah. That makes total sense. Oh yeah.
1: Because I, and like I said, it started with, it didn't start with you because he asks you to describe your pain. And then he asks you to go back and circle the words that you use the most often. And so that was kind of what was the, f- the first like alarm bell that went off for me because the words that I chose to use were like forced, um, like someone was holding on to me and Oof. I couldn't get out. Um, like like someone had their like pressure on my hips like their hands digging into my hips um like someone was you know forcefully trying to enter me as I was just walking around because that's where a lot of my pain is it's surrounding that space like my perineum my pelvic floor and it basically just feels like what I call stabbies that's the word I use to describe it but it just kind of feels like someone's stabbing you in places that you don't want and it's a dull, not a sharp, you know, so there's a lot of different things that, I, that came up. And through the hypnotherapy, there was just flashes of moments here and there that I had suppressed or chalked up with something different or had told a different version of the story in my head, even to myself, and had never even said it out loud to anybody else. So that was
0: wow. wild. Wow, I mean, that's huge. Yeah. Because, I mean, clearly it was something that needed to be processed because your body was still processing mm-hmm. it. I mean, your body's still feeling it and you're getting disease from it that's only getting worse in time that's directly reflecting the trauma you went through. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's intense.
1: It is, but it's also so is incredibly
0: it rele- cathartic. Well, I was about to say, was it so relieving yeah. when that stuff, I mean, that must have been totally relieving. Because yeah. also in some ways it feels like well, there, you you know, you're, especially when you're talking about endometriosis and you're just like, where does it come from? And who knows? Like, and I'm not saying this is it. But for you, that must have been at least your, a little bit more of your tie, like your connection. And then like anyone who's going through something that you don't have answers, you want the answers no matter how bad they are. Mm-hmm. I've always said you'd rather hear the worst news in the world if it's like you know it explains what you're going through because then you can do so do something. Who knows right. if you can fix it or not fix it. I'm not saying that, but you can do you can work with that. Yeah. And so like for you, that's like being handed kind of a gift. A gift. Yeah. The yeah. information.
1: Yeah. I mean it was really hard. I'm not gonna lie. And the, the only reason why I can talk about it right now without feeling like I'm gonna start balling crying is because and You're more I've... than welcome to by the way. <laughs> well thank you. But I I I I don't need to because I've done that already. Right. Like I did that in the therapy room many times. I did it with my boyfriend when I got home, when I realized what had happened. Um, I realized that I held it against him because the one particular instance that was the most, like, wait, I couldn't even believe it when I realized it because it was recent. It happened while we were apart and so i held it against him and i didn't even realize i was holding it against him because i didn't want to be apart when we were apart like um, so there's a lot of things that were that that um, that contributed to it and then i started to realize okay why did i lie to myself about what happened why did i convince myself that it was my fault why did i not tell anybody about it why did i just shove it away like nothing happened and i realized again i don't want to i'm not blaming my mom when i say this she came from a different age a different time she was raised in a different way and a lot of What she has now is because of the ways that she was able to to relate to men, she raised me to be complacent with men. She raised me to associate my worth towards the way that a man saw me. Um, From a young age, she put me into acting and modeling and all this stuff, and I had a lot of issues for years because of it i had developed an eating disorder that i battled for like seven years before any of the endo stuff came along and now in retrospect i realized i was having what you call endo belly it's like an inflammation where your belly just gets so much bigger than the rest of your body and you kind of like you feel f- bloated and fat, but you're not. It's just inflammation. And I would just starve myself because I'd be like, hmm, why is, why is my belly so much bigger than my legs? Right. My solution was, oh, I'll just starve myself. And then eventually I started throwing up. And I didn't even realize that all of this was connected to the way that I looked at my body, the way that I was taught to look at my body, the way that I w- was it taught to have my body look for men, the way that um, my worth was associated to how I looked. And when, I, when my dad passed away, was I was actually about to move to L.A. with my mom. She had brought me out here for, like, all these different auditions, and I was about to sign with like some, I don't know, something or other, and my life would have changed completely had I done that. And he passed away coincidentally at the same time, and I went to my mom, and I just said, you know, I really don't want to do this. I'm not ready. And thank goodness she didn't force me, like, I sound like I'm saying a lot of things that are negative about my mom, but there's a couple of things that she did that were incredible. She never forced me into anything. She just thought that that was what I wanted because was, that was how she was raised. And when I said no, I, she was like, okay, no more, no problem. When I had my eating disorder, and my boarding school kicked me out because of it.
0: That's and impressive because boarding school is like a oh, breeding ground well, for they, it. <laughs>
1: that's the point is they breed it and then they make you leave. Which is insane. When you can only come back once you weigh a certain amount, a certain weight. Um, when I went to the doctor that they forced me to go to, I didn't even get to choose one. They said, this is the doctor that you have to go to. And all the other girls who have an eating disorders are also going there and they're all gossiping to each other. It makes it so much worse, right? They tried to put me on antidepressants because they're like, it'll stop her from binging. She was like, absolutely not. That's not a solution. She's not depressed. She has an eating disorder. I probably was depressed, but I'm, that but wasn't not a solution. To, right, right. So there's th- things that she did along the way that her, her, intu- her intuition and um, that that trained me to listen to my intuition. That's a beautiful gift from your mom. Yeah. It is. And while there are, you know, so many things that like I had to unlearn, she didn't realize she was teaching me or so many things that were, you know, embedded in me to be afraid of that nobody realized that they were they didn't want to do that. Nobody wanted me to be afraid. They just wanted me to be safe right. because they knew I was living in a dangerous environment. But as a
0: child, that's It is such a, I mean, I battle with it with my daughter too, and obviously it's not the same environment, but I do think I'm like, what's the line in teaching them, you know, love and compassion and seeing the beauty and everything, and then the practical side of, oh shit, and when do I start teaching her to be slightly a little bit, like, and I I don't know what the answer is, because you do, you think it's like, as you're teaching these beautiful things, I'm like, but fuck, like, you hear these horrible stories too. And it's like, what if this person, like, kid walks down and they're like, hi, and just super open to everyone. And then they get themselves in like a really bad scenario. So there yeah. is this weird, delicate balance. There's of, a fine line. There is a fine line. And I don't have the answer to it. Um, and thank God she's still a little young. I have a little bit more time to try and figure out what my version yeah. is. But it's, and I'm sure it'll fuck her up in some way or another as well. we'll fuck everyone up. <laughs> right. But it, it, is, it is interesting because it's like my, my initial reaction as a mom or instinct is like, love and compassion and see the beauty and good in everyone no matter what they're going through but or There's how dark dangerous it is. people out there. But there's also dangerous yeah. people out there. And how do you start explaining that to it's it's a very complicated area actually. Yeah. So I do think some parents lean towards one or the other. They and either you learn to be like super street smart and like a little protective or you can and it's it's tricky.
1: Right. And I think that um I my willingness to see the good in everybody has gotten myself into I've gotten myself into a lot of tricky situations because of it so it is a dance and like my niece for example my sister is is she's an amazing mom and but she, one of the things that she says often is be careful and she realized she said it very often because one day Alba looked back at her and goes I'm be carefuling mom <laughs> so cute. and it's like okay that's cute. But when does it become to the when does when it get you to the point to, where is she's a constantly living in a pattern of fear? That's true. And when does that get to the point where it affects her hormones and creates, you know, Escalated levels of cortisol and only chest breathing to where she her pelvic floor is and obviously that's not gonna happen because No, but
0: I mean it goes back to like our bigger conversation, which is true. So when are these little patterns that we don't realize we're doing also then becoming a physical way of living? That like you said, it's like physically we're we're ignoring shit we're going through. I mean emotionally we're ignoring stuff we go through, but physically you're starting to literally fuck up your system. Yeah,
1: you're disconnecting yourself from your womb, which is like your second heart. Like it's where your all your creative energy lies where your self-worth lies right these are things that that are all really relevant to how we see ourselves and how we show up in the world and how we thrive like we're not just meant to merely survive as individuals like it shouldn't be a battle it should be like you know rising to the occasion of your life like it's an opportunity and that's why all this stuff that i've been uncovering while it's been really hard and yes there are days where i have had like really hard days um just like you know wondering whether digging into this is hurting me more than it's helping me you know all these different things but it always comes around to the same answer which is like the only way out is through the only way that I can make it through this experience is by fully being in it and not fearing all the stuff that comes up and being open to facing the dark because that's where the light is right and these are things that I've always known on some level it. but now I have to live it and I you know I've never been resistant towards living it I just didn't really know that I wasn't until I wasn't and I think that that's the other thing that's really interesting about the first question you asked and this is something that people have consistently been saying to me and always triggers me and I have to step back and be like, why is this triggering me? People will say like, how could this have happened to you? Aren't you so aligned? Or like, you know, just why don't you try some ayahuasca? You know, the most ridiculous yeah. things. And I'm just like, before, it used to really bother me, but now I'm like, I, I take that as an opportunity to look at myself and say, the process of me becoming more and more spiritually aligned, the process of me getting to know myself and finding that truth that is you, is knowing that I'm not gonna know all the time, knowing that I am gonna fail, that I am gonna stumble, that I am gonna have to get back up. And actually the deeper I go, the, the more you unmask and you reveal, and it's like walking through the trenches for a while before you ever see the light. So like for anybody out there who starts doing this work and perhaps sees that there might be a little bit more suffering that happens, that is normal and that's the human condition and we all suffer and to ignore suffering only causes more suffering. So by like opening yourself up to it and actually being honest about the spaces where you put all the stuff that you don't wanna deal with
0: really, really look at them. Like that is where all of the healing lies. Well, I I think that's such a beautiful statement. So yes, we've talked a lot about endometriosis, but it really does, especially anything autoimmune. But really anything, I love that idea of if we can start really using it as a healing opportunity, not just for your physicality, but your emotional healing and knowing that you are going to learn so much more about yourself and peel off layers that are going to bring you to a depth of you you didn't even know you had. There's a real beautiful thing in there, but that doesn't come lightly. It's like doing the work. Sometimes puts you into some dark places.
1: And it also takes a lot of like self awareness, like, um, of all the ways that we run away from ourselves. Like, it's so easy to numb out. It's so easy. I have, I did it for years. Like
0: and we all do it differently. So you weren't necessarily numbing out like some people do it by drinking a shit ton or taking a lot of sometimes drugs. Sometimes I was though. Some, right, but I mean, like nobody would look at you and be like, "She's not." No, but you don't. And some have people to are be. like total druggies. Some mm-hmm. people are using sex. Some people cut. I mean, whatever it is, or they have eating disorders. It's like it, everyone manifests it in different yeah. ways. But no matter what, like sometimes it's just simply you end up overcompensating in different yeah. ways. Like you learn how to build up other muscles and then you can kind of let that stuff float yeah. behind.
1: And it's also not always so dramatic, right? Right, exactly. Like it could be a variety of different ways that you hurt yourself or numb yourself out that at the surface and even to your own attention at the time seem like they're not a problem. Um, such as? Such as like you said, drinking or for me, I mean, I smoke weed. I still smoke weed for pain management, but I know when I smoke too much, there is a a fine line. Like I know that two glasses of wine is borderline too much for me because the next day I'm going to feel pain. Um, But if I have four, then I forget that the next day I'm going to feel pain. And it's, it's not that I'm an alcoholic. It's that I'm going out having a good time. That's an example, right? So like you can do that once in a while and think that you have no problem, but just notice why you're doing it. Because this past um, Mm. January, I did dry January for the first time ever. And like, I never thought I had a drinking problem. Um, But I was like, yeah, let's try it. Mostly because I was told and read so many things about how stopping drinking, even just the minimal amount that I do would help. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll go for it. Because at this point, even after the surgery, I'm still dealing with like referred pain um, for all the reasons that we've discussed. Like no amount of anything is going to solve what I, the work, the deep work that I have to do and that I know that I'm going to be doing. So I I quit for a month and I realized in that month there were three reasons why I drank. One was to celebrate and I decided I'm going to keep that reason. The second one was when I get sad about something, a glass of red wine always makes me feel better. But why is that my solution? And then the other one is when I get, stressed out. Like I've had a long day and I'm just like, oh, a glass of wine tastes so great. But those two reasons I realized aren't very good reasons to do something. And so if you're feeling stressed out or if you're feeling sad, maybe try go to a yoga class, maybe try to meditate, maybe try to take a a breath. And those are all things that I knew beforehand, but I thought, oh, I already did yoga today. Or, oh, I already meditated today. This is just the bonus. Yeah, this is the bonus. And it's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely. But if you get to the end of the day and you're like, holy shit, I had an amazing day. I can't wait to celebrate with a glass of wine. Have that glass of wine. But if you get to the end of the day and you're like, oh my God, I need a glass of wine. Think about why. Think about why. Because it's not just the wine. It's the energy and emotion that you're drinking while you're having the wine. That also gets stored. So
0: interesting, because I have not had a drink in over a year. And wow. the funny thing is, and I like drinking. Like, yeah. that's what I'm saying. I say that not with... And it was never... I like drinking. I'm a big social drinker. Enjoy. Ask any of my friends. Like, I'd always be the first to, like, pour you a glass. And I still am. Like. Mm-hmm. But I... And I don't... And it started the same thing. with There's some physical things. So I was like, oh, I just need a few weeks. Let me just try and be a little cleaner. It was never like, I'm not going to drink. And what I started realizing and doing, because people still are like, are you still not drinking? I'm like, well, no, I've never not been drinking. I just haven't been drinking. Like, And to me, it's two different things, which is, if I wanted a drink today, I'll have a drink. Like, it's not this hard no for me. Mm-hmm. But what I started doing, which is why I think it ended up lasting so long, was I was like, I'm just checking in every single time to see if I really want the drink, which I never did before. Mm-hmm. So every time now, I'd be like, do I really want it? Am I doing it more because I this, that? And Almost every time, I was like, "I actually don't want it. I'm good." And and because I said, if I if I did that questioning and was like, "No, I really do want it," I would have it. And it was funny because there was one time where I was so excited, I'm like, "Oh, we're going to this restaurant. I love this glass of wine. I can't wait." And I was like, ready to go. Because again, there was never no like, "I'm not drinking." Mm -hmm. And then we go there, and they took that glass off the menu. And
1: you're like, "It's a sign." It was. (laughs) I mean,
0: even my boyfriend was like, "I feel like it's a sign." But it was so funny because people are like, "So you're just," and people still don't get it. They're like. So you're still just not drinking. I'm like, no, like, honestly, I'll drink today. And then if I want to, and then I'll reset again tomorrow and and ask myself the same questions. It's just the answer yet in 13, 14 months has not yet been like, oh, I actually really do want that. So that's why it just has lasted so long. I never never set out for a month. I never set out for weeks. I never set out for six months. I didn't, I would say probably two weeks before it became a year, I was like, all right, I'm just going to do a year now. that (laughs) That was the only time it became like a time thing. Otherwise, it's always been like, I just ask myself, yeah. and I do think it, and it what was interesting, so I'm like just like you, was more starting to, and I've said this to people. I'm like it actually became a really interesting in just studying what my relationship with drinking is and like also where do I change or not change? Like some things were actually very pleasing to me that I realized. I'm like, Oh, I can actually still have that version of my personality without it. That Mm -hmm. actually didn't change it, Mm -hmm. which I thought it would. Mm -hmm. And so there has been some pleasant discoveries Mm -hmm. as well. Um, But it is a really fascinating thing where you also start to see where you've just also become addicted in certain ways of you've just trained yourself to want things at certain times. Mm -hmm like pattern. it's just pattern period. I'm like, "Oh yeah, I actually don't care if I drink right now, but I'm just so trained to drinking in that moment. It mm-hmm. feels weird not to." Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's just fascinating.
1: Yeah, it is fascinating. And I think that um this gets back to like everything that we were talking about in the beginning even like you ask yourself like before what, you, you, need? what you need and then give it to yourself if it's something that you truly need. And if there's just there's a huge difference and that's between that's anything. That's a huge difference between what we want and what we need. What I wanted was my endometriosis to not exist. What I needed was help, <laughs> and I just chose to focus on what I wanted, which was my career, which was thriving. My relationship at the time, you know, we've been through a lot, but you guys
0: been together we've, forever. We've,
1: yeah, we've known each other 20 years. He's seen me through it all. Um, also in a lot of things that, in our relationship that I didn't even realize. So you know, you have to really just ask yourself like consistently over and over and over again is this healing for me and that's what i've been doing and that's why i'm calling this entire experience healing period <laughs> because if it's healing you'll know and if it's not you'll also know maybe at the end of the experience but just go for it if there's something that's calling for you to do this thing and if it you when you ask yourself if it has you know any sort of alignment with your spirit and you can tell that intuitively in your gut you needed to have this experience, then it will be healing for you, even if it's not. Like, even if it is to show you that that's not it. Right. And that everything
0: is an opportunity for that. Um, well, that's a beautiful place. Let's get to your for yous. That's a beautiful place to kind of wrap it up because I, it's, I love that this conversation was not just specific to one thing, which is so informative, but it did become a bigger conversation about how we need to be more in touch with ourselves, otherwise you can experience some pretty intense sickness. You have
1: to be your own advocate. Yeah. And you ha- and I mean, I think that I'm happy to be my own advocate, but I also think that it, it, it does go bigger than that. Um, I think that there are systematic issues in the way that our healthcare
0: system oh my works God, that
1: leads to this. And so that goes to the, to the thing that it. That and the I sad think. thing
0: is until you're in it and need it, you don't really realize it. Exactly. And that's part of the problem is a lot of people who are creating this system or trying to figure it out aren't necessarily the ones who are using it, truly using it. I mean, we're all well, using they're, it Well, they're all sense, suffering but.
1: too because there are a lot of – it's just, you know, from start to finish, we're screwed. Like – these doctors go in with so much debt that they don't know which way is up by the time they actually get to see somebody right. and you know that's just the the beginning of the problem that leads to a lot of other problems and so the reason why I brought it up is like I just want to say like um and the reason why I relate with someone like Marion Williamson so much is because um we cannot as spiritual beings or open minded individuals just look at our own situation and say, okay, I'm just gonna take care of me because that leaves a vacancy and an opportunity for the people that don't give a shit about us to build the system. And so I think that yes, we have to be our own advocates, but we also have to be advocates for everybody else. And we have to realize that like, um, it is a complete hypocrisy to try to be a spiritual being and not be interested or aware of what's going on in a soci- on a sociological, societal, Absolutely. political level.
0: And it also goes back to your comment earlier about it's there's trauma everywhere and we experience it. And so until we acknowledge how we are part of a larger trauma or we are connected to sociologically other traumas that are happening, which we all are, and until we can start dismantling that within ourselves and then helping dismantle the problem it's still there. And exactly. that trauma affects us too. And everyone else. Exactly. It's really, a, it's, it's so true. And we
1: have to communicate with both sides. So like this, the, the meditation, mindfulness, consciousness world has to communicate with the medical world. We have to find a way to get that in and covered by insurance. Otherwise it will continuously be two separate worlds. And we obviously, the insurance thing is this whole, whole separate thing that we don't need to get into. Cause that's right. not the conversation, but the conversation that I am w- trying to have, that's the most important to me is I just want, everybody to communicate i just want everyone to hear each other and to not discount each other and for the doctor that you're talking about that asks is reiki real to try it right you know to, to to bring these things in and not shun anything because when i go to my doctor and after i had my my surgery i was really discouraged for a while because i was told it'd be six weeks of recovery i'm still recovering in a lot of ways um it's been six months and i had around week eight or nine, I went to my PT and I just lost it. And I started bawling, crying. And I was just like, I thought it would be over. And she, she said, I'm really sorry that someone told you that it would be over. You have a chronic illness. That's what that, this means. It means you're gonna be dealing with it for the rest of your life. And it just hit, hit me. And I was just like, okay, I scheduled this in the middle of the summer. I, took, I thought that it'd be over. I thought I'd go back to my life. I did not know where I would head. I did not know that I would rebrand one of my businesses to be directly focused on women's health. I did not know that I was going right. to decide to write a book. I did not, did not know. I had, I had every intention of just going back to my merry, happy life of teaching and making moon boxes, and I can't. I just can't. Like no matter how much time I try, called to do. I have to do it, and I'm so fortunate that I have a support system around me that is allowing me to make this change without fear of where I'm going to sleep or how I'm going to make money or all these things. And so I just kind of feel like. If I don't do it,
0: who will? Right, exactly. Like,
1: I think of all the women who are, were in my position and couldn't afford an excision surgery or had to choose the ablation and are still suffering and will be suffering for a very long time, and I have to do it for them. I have to continue to speak up.
0: I love that. Let's see your four years, which are four quick questions. Yes, please. Four quick answers. Um, so if you had to say one book that has kind of changed how you look at the world, what would it be? Oh, one book. Um Ishmael
1: hmm. by Daniel Quinn. Okay. I think that that's his name. Have you read it?
0: I haven't, but now I will. It's so good. I always love this question because I always get good books if I haven't read them. Um, what does your morning practice look like or do you have one? I do have one. And I, um, this is my like
1: number one non-negotiable that I have to do every single morning or I just kind of feel like, what planet did I just walk off of? <laughs> but I do um, my morning meditation every morning. Well, first thing I do when I wake up in the morning, as long as I'm home, and even when I'm not home, sometimes when I'm traveling, I pretend that they're there. I sing to my dog and my cat. Oh, I, like, let them jump in bed with me because they don't sleep in the bed usually. Well, the cat sneaks in, but the dog doesn't. I let them both jump in, and I just start singing to them. Like, whatever comes to mind, like stream of consciousness. Like, I love you, Mr. Diplo. You're my <laughs> diplomat, Like, whatever I think of. Just, like, the happiest. It's like having kids, yes. Yeah. And it's just, it fills my heart up. I love it so much. My boyfriend tried to stop me from doing it for a while. When we first moved in together, he was like, I need quiet mornings. I'm like, this makes me happy. It's my non-negotiable. Put your sound canceling. (laughs) So I've always done that. And then lately I tacked on a lot of things that have to do with my endo. Um, So I do that. And then I sit down on my meditation. I make the bed because that makes me feel important. That's important. Make the bed. Then I sit down on my meditation cushion, which I have positioned strategically right next to my bed. So I literally just make the bed and sit down. I do at least five minutes of breathwork, which are completely inspired by pelvic floor drops, which I read about in the book, Beating Endo. So anybody who might have endo, you should absolutely read that book. It's the most comprehensive book there is out there on endometriosis. Um, And Pelvic Floor Drops is a particular kind of breathing exercise, which is essentially the opposite of kegels. So you inhale all the way down into your perineum, and then you imagine you can kind of keep exhaling out your perineum. In yoga, we call this the apana vayu. So you have prana and apana. Prana is what comes in. Apana is what goes out. Um, So apana vayu meaning what's going down and out. And I do that for about five minutes every morning. And it's just relaxing your pelvic floor. It's just teaching your pelvic floor how to relax because we're actually supposed to defecate and pee as we inhale, which is Un, un, un commonly unknown I'm like trying
0: thing. to think. Of, I'm like, but then I'm nervous I might pee, so. Yeah, we, we all <laughs> tend
1: to f- force and exhale. Just try it next time. Inhale instead. It's so much easier. So you it, you inhale, your pelvic floor relaxes because your diaphragm drops as you inhale yeah. and your pelvic floor does the same if it's doing it right. If you have pelvic floor dysfunction, which I had, they're knocking into each other like that. And that's what causes the tension in your abdomen, which is... Wild. Yeah. So I do the pelvic floor drops to help retrain my pelvic floor because I had completely lost on my left side because of the surgery eighty percent of my motor control of my pelvic floor on the on the left side. So that's retraining that that mind body connection. And then I do self reiki on myself. Nice. I just do like basically a level one attunement onto myself. It feels amazing. I do it every morning. Um, when I first started doing it, I didn't really know whether it would work or not. I I, I was still in that state of like if it's healing, I'm doing it. I just don't even care. <laughs> right. And I just, it, it has such a positive effect on me every day. I say a blessing for my ancestors, a blessing for all my future generations to come. Sol paiki pachamama, which mm-hmm. is um, thank you, Mother Earth in Quechua, which is what I learned in, when I was in Peru.
0: I just, <laughs> just kept saying it ever since then. And that's it. I get up, make my coffee. What is, do you have like a current obsession, something you have to eat, drink, or do?
1: Um, well, speaking of coffee, I seasonally drink coffee. I couldn't give it up, even though, like, I know that it's not super great for me. Um, I, I just had to keep it somewhere, so I, I just drink it in the fall and the winter when the days are shorter, and then in the spring and the summer, I don't do it. Um, so, yeah, so right now, coffee, um, but come spring, that will be gone. Um, chia seeds are amazing. I have a little turmeric concoction that I, um, buy from by Erica Elizabeth. She's, like, this awesome chick that I found on Instagram has been working with us for the moon box, and. Like for years, um, I've just been, you know, using her stuff. She's amazing. So she makes a couple of different adaptogenic blends, but I love her turmeric one. Uh, put that on my like cereal bowl in the morning. It's an anti-inflammatory. And then I stay away from all cow dairy because cow dairy has the most amount of like just shitty shit. Also, we shouldn't be drinking it like in general. Goat doesn't tend to bother me as much. I should probably stay away from it altogether, but. When, after my surgery, I tried to, like, cut everything out and be like, I'm going to be this perfect endo warrior. It made me so depressed and so anxious. Yeah. And I just decided, okay, I'm going to tackle it one thing at a time and then, like, just, you know, do my best here and there. So that's why I eventually, January, I got to the alcohol six <laughs> months later. But, so I just took it one step at a time, trying to avoid as much sugar as possible. Um and I eat a lot of pineapple, which is also clinically reduced, clinically proven to reduce endometriosis. I love
0: pineapple. Yeah. Um, if you were going to get a tattoo today, what would it be? I have a lot of tattoos already. I know. That's why I said today. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was like, today, what would your new one be?
1: You know, I don't know. All my tattoos have been, like, spontaneous in the moment kind of things that I decided to do. So I think I'm just going to, like, let it continue to be that.
0: So what if it was spontaneous? What if someone today was here with, like, ink?
1: Maybe eleven eleven because I parked the car at eleven eleven and the meter had eleven minutes on it. And there I just, you go. Yeah,
0: I lo- I do love.
1: I read somewhere sometime. Really, oh my friend Jill told me this. Um, Jill is an, an amazing human being. She is the founder of Spirit Daughter. If you if you haven't heard of her, you should definitely talk to her. She's amazing. Uh, she said, um, "Oh my gosh, now I can't remember how she said it." But if we, when you see the number 1111 consistently, it means that you're in line with the universe.
0: Yes, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, I love that. Um, thank you. She will do her personal practice, which is going to be a womb healing meditation. Thank you so much for sharing everything yeah. with us. I think it's hugely helpful. And I love that you're kind of blazing forward on this path because I think you're going to change a lot of people's lives and a lot of women's lives.
1: I hope so. Thank
0: Absolutely. You. Love having you here.
1: Thank you. I love being here. It's like one of my personal favorite places. It
0: makes me happy. So now Paula is going to lead us in our personal practice, which is a womb healing meditation. All right.
1: Take a moment to find yourself in a comfortable seat, or you can lie down if you prefer. You can also lean against a wall. Just find a space where you could feel most connected to your womb, to your pelvis, and your breath. And whenever you have that, you can allow your eyes to close. And If that's too much, you can just softly gaze at the tip of your nose or at the floor, just staring at one single point, either inwards or outwards, until you feel your attention pool into yourself. Naturally, with time, the eyes will safely want to close if they haven't already. Softening across your forehead, your jaw, that trickle down your back, your shoulders. Feeling a softness cover your whole outer shell, your skin, your interconnected intelligence of the fascia, I'm imagining you could breathe in and out through your pores, through every pore in your body. As if that breath were raindrops coming through each and every pore, trickling down your spine. See that element of water, of creativity, of fluidity, moving down, 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 down into your pelvic bowl. Breathing deeply into your lower abdomen. Start to feel the low belly inflate completely with each inhale. Sending all your awareness into the perineum, space between the sitz bones and the pubic bone, like you could send down an anchor into the core of the earth, as if you are dropping roots. continuing to feel the flow of your breath water this fertile soil of your pelvis. As the breath activates the central column of energy, of healing, this very vital nerve that runs along the front of your abdomen. And with each rhythmic breath you take, Equal parts inhale, equal parts exhale. You're massaging your own nervous system. You are asking the ego to let go of its grip on your spirit and just let spirit lead through your breath. Unattached to the past, the future, completely rooted, anchored, grounded in the foundation that is your pelvis. Notice again with each inhale how your pelvic floor can relax and let go. And then imagine with each exhale, you release something from this space that doesn't serve you. with the opening that you create through your inhale. So you're relaxing every cell with each inhale. Now with each exhale, there's this gentle contraction that happens in your diaphragm and your ribs as if to press something out. The key is the inhale. The exit is the exhale. I'm continuing to feel this breath move through the apana Vayu all the way in and down. I'm just taking a couple more breaths in this direction, inhaling down, exhaling down, inhaling down. Exhaling down, the ribs contract just a tiny bit even as the pelvic floor stays relaxed. You can continue this as long as you need to really feel it. It takes a little while, especially if you've been feeling yourself locked up in this space for any reason at all. And then whenever you're ready, whether it be now or later, you can start to reverse that process. So the inhale still moves all the way in and down. But now the exhale can move up and out as if it's leaving through the crown of your head like a chimney, releasing steam, creating a sense of weightlessness, freedom. Your womb is a sacred space that must be loved and acknowledged recognized, unheard, over and over and over again. When we hold on to this space. can lead to a variety of different ways that we see ourselves. So allow everything that you're bringing in here to be the most vibrant, the most colorful, the most abundant version of you, as if you could grow branches up through your womb, through your fallopian tubes, if that's what you have. We all have a womb, whether we are a man or a woman. This is a creative space. No matter what we identify as, there is growth available here. So feel these final couple breaths of attention moving in and down, awareness moving up and out to allow yourself to expand thanks to the foundation below, thinking all that has come before you, all that is ahead of you. With gratitude in your breath in this present moment. One more deep inhale. Open your mouth and a big sigh of relief as you exhale. Hmm. The light in me bows to the light and love that lives within every being, every womb for all generations to come. I bow to each and every one of you. Namaste.
0: Dentalk's podcast would not exist without these incredible people. Nicole Rappi, Reem Edon, Hayden Fungheiser, Kim Bielik, and music by Alex Fetter. Thanks for joining us. If you haven't subscribed, please do. And also wherever you listen, please go and leave us a review. It's so greatly appreciated. It really does help us out. If you want to keep talking about all this stuff, please join our community on our secret Facebook page. Go to Facebook, search Dentalks Podcast, and join us there.